Welcome back to Behind Startup Lines, where we delve into the heart of startup success through the eyes of founders, operators, and investors. Today, I'm thrilled to chat with an old colleague and dear friend, Robin Bailey. Robin isn't just a master at weaving narratives. He's a seasoned coach helping business leaders transform their communication through the power of storytelling. We're all innately drawn to stories. It's how we connect and persuade, particularly when it comes to selling a product or securing investment. But it's all too easy to slip into the comfort zone of features and benefits, rather than engaging with a narrative that truly resonates. Robin and I explore the essential stories every business needs to master, the art of making an indelible first impression, and the secret of captivating an audience. Our conversation spans the authenticity of bringing your true self to the story, embodying a servant leader mindset in your narrative delivery, and the dynamism required to start and end your story with unwavering energy. Storytelling is the lifeblood of pitches, whether you're addressing customers, investors, or potential team members. Robin's insights are invaluable and I can personally attest to the impact of his techniques on improving how we communicate. Let's dive in and absorb the wisdom that he has to impart. Robin, welcome to Behind Startup Lines. I've really been looking forward to this conversation where we're going to explore this whole area of the value of storytelling in business uh, and particularly relating to building early stage companies. So thank you for joining me. It's great to see you again. Yes, yeah, really good to see you again, Phil. Been a while hasn't it? Yeah. So you and I go back a long, long time to our days in television, which was all about storytelling. Um, I went off in a different direction uh, in terms of technology and working with startups. But you stayed on this journey, didn't you, to become a storytelling coach. So why don't you tell our audience a bit about what you've been doing uh, and your business and how you're helping companies learn how to tell great stories? Well, yeah, you're right. It's really storytelling that has been this thread that has gone throughout my life ever since I was a kid, really, when my grandmother told me these most extraordinary stories. And I thought, yes, I want to work in stories. That's what I want to do. And so I, before I met you, I was working in advertising. So like you say, that storytelling, I was an advertising manager at Nationwide Building Society. So I had a massive budget, 36 million pounds in the mid 80s. It was crazy money. But there weren't, the, I mean, mortgage ads, they weren't really the stories that I was interested in. Yeah. And then it was television, which is where I met you. So great. It's television, a bit more sexy, more interesting, but it was kids TV. And again, the stories weren't really the stories I was interested in. And then I think you'd actually left the the channel that we were both working at when they decided to to move and I decided I didn't want to go with them so I decided to go back to those stories that my grandmother had told me when I was a kid because I always felt that there was something I hadn't been told so I looked into these stories and I then that became a book and it was when I was going around the world appearing at literary literary festivals, telling the stories that are in the book, I realized actually 
telling stories, connecting with audiences is something which I get really inspired by because you can see the difference you're making to people. People connect to you. People look afterwards. They want to come and talk to you about it. And then people started to come to me and say, can you help me with my story? Can you help me with my presentation? Can you help me with my speech? And that alongside training to be a coach at the, at the same time, these two strands have come together. So one of leadership and the other one of storytelling. And I introduced myself as a storytelling leadership coach. And I see that both, both strands kind of inextricably uh, intertwined. Because if you're going to lead, you need to be able to tell a good story. And if you are telling a story, then you are leading the thought processes of everybody in the room at that particular time. So storytelling is leadership in my book. And that's how I've come to do what I do now. And I absolutely love it. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to help people work out what it is that they really want to say and then how to say it in the most compelling way. And who are you working with? What sort of companies are calling on your expertise to help them with this storytelling? Well, I've worked quite a lot with people in advertising. I've worked with a lot of people in tech. I've been in Silicon Valley quite a lot. Um, I've worked quite a lot with pharma organizations. I've worked with, with some startups. I've worked with some energy companies. I mean, and all over the world, you know, from Sydney to Madrid to um, the Middle East, all over Europe. So it's, it's, it's basically anybody who needs to get clear about what their story is, what they want to be communicating. Um, and I, I really love it. With, I mean, with startups, it's, it's, it's one thing because they're people fairly early in their in their organization's development. So it's really about working out what they're about. I also work a lot with very senior leaders who are kind of more mature in their journey or their organizations have been established for longer. And in those cases, it's about reconnecting those people with their ability to, to communicate. And it's extraordinary sometimes working with very senior people and I get them talking and I say, okay, well, tell me the story that you're telling at the moment. And and they kind of go, blah, 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 blah. I said, you just give me a lot of stats. You give me a lot of data points. Yeah. And then I just push them and I get them to tell more of them, more of what they're in it for. And this, is, again, is very similar conversations I have with startups. And it's that connection between themselves what they're talking about, their project, their company, their organization, and the audience. It's that kind of triumvirate. When the, that bit connects, and so what I find really inspiring is when you see these senior leaders and they're, they're kind of the penny drops and they realize that, oh, what's interesting here is not the blah, blah, blah. What's interesting here is my take on the blah, 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 and how you, yeah. the audience, whoever the audience might be, how the audience could connect to that. That's what's key. That's such a great insight, Robin, and one that I'm totally aligned with. You know that I'm passionate about storytelling from a commercial, from a sales point of view. Uh, and I've, in the past, in the teams that mm -hmm. I've worked with, I've often brought storytelling coaches in to help salespeople tell their story because we're, we're naturally wired 
to respond to stories, aren't we? The psychology or, or even the evolution as human beings is that we're much more wired to take on a story and, uh, and, and personalize it if we can tell it versus just a set of stats or a set of features if you're talking about products. Um, what, what do you think the drivers are when, when you talk to these business leaders or even these early stage companies? How do you help them realize this, the importance of telling that personal story versus just getting down to the nuts and bolts of what they do? Well, I think the first thing is when they see my reaction or if I'm, if it's in a workshop scenario, they see other people's yeah. reaction to yeah. them. It's like, oh, there you are. And let me give you another kind of coming at it from a slightly different angle. When I was writing the book, after several years being alone in my garret hammering away at the keyboard i the next stage was going to writing groups which was really valuable because you you get kind of almost live feedback as to as to what you're writing and there's one question which they kept on asking me every week always the same there's a robin where are you and I find that almost always when I'm helping someone work on their story, that's the question I probably ask more than anyone else. Very often they're telling someone else's story. Yeah. And what do you mean by where are you? Well, why do you care? Why is it you that's talking to me right now? If you weren't an integral part of your communication, then why not just send me an email and say, yeah. write back with any questions that you have. So you are an integral point, uh, part of this. And as you say, this is kind of, we're looking at this from a kind of animalistic point of view. So I'm taking all kinds of cues from you. If you are not looking animated, if you obviously don't care, then why should I? And conversely, if I can see that you are really animated, you are really interested, you're really invested, then I think, oh, Phil's really into this. Okay, I better listen a bit more. And by the way, let's maybe just step back a little bit because we talk about storytelling. And storytelling is happening all of the time. I mean, a lot of what I deal with is, is helping people work out, all right, get clarity on what it is, what the story is, what the communication is, what's the key point you're trying to land. But there's a lot of other stuff. So, for example, the backdrop that you've got that I'm seeing on my screen in front of you, that's telling me a story. That's telling me a story. When you step, step up on stage, the way that you walk on stage, the clothes that you're wearing, whether I can see your hands, what um, what your your eye contact, your gestures, all of this is telling me a story. And, you know, if you come on like a kind of truculent supply teacher saying, I'm going to talk about the Napoleonic Wars, you know, that is completely different to somebody strung on saying, morning, everybody. You know what I mean? So that's a very straightforward example. But you know what I mean? It's all storytelling. And I was working with somebody a few years ago who her job now is to help politicians, actually, mainly, work on their dress sense. And the way that she said it, he said, I look at the story even before they open their mouth. And if you think about it, sometimes you see people dressed in a certain way 
Um, and you might decide I'm not going to listen to this person just because you, you don't like their tweed jacket yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So what's the story that you're communicating? You're always telling a story. And so what, what I try to do is to get people to control that narrative because the narrative is being told anyway. And there's a, yes. there's a lovely phrase that I was that came up yesterday. I was talking with, I was leading a, a workshop with some uh, a team of uh, pharmaceutical leaders, and we were looking at we were looking at politicians actually, good and bad cases of of, of body language, and the phrase that was we, we were using was we're looking at Gordon Brown when he was told that you know he had to smile more, yes. and so he was just doing. Hmm. Like a kid in front of, you know, at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a school class uh, photo. And he, he was leaking um, discomfort. Yes. And so, you know, it's all about controlling. So if you can, when I talked about where are you in this, knowing that is absolutely key to it all. Because if I know where you're coming to it, uh, to it from, why you're talking to me, how you're connected to the organization, how how you relate to the message or what you're trying to the problem you're trying to solve with the organization or the product that you're that you're you're uh, you're talking about, then it's going to put me at ease. It's going to allow me at least to begin the journey with you. See what I read into that as you explain it, Robin, is a degree of authenticity in the way in which you come across. Because that's what people are looking for. They, can I trust this person? Do I believe this person? Do I want to follow this person? And the most powerful way to do that as individuals is to bring your authentic self to a discussion, which you might not want to do in every instance because of whatever the conversation is we're having. And we'll get onto the different stories that you might tell in, in the future. But, but is that what you mean? Is it about bringing the personality and the authenticity of that individual to the story because that's what makes it compelling? Uh, yes, and one thing I'd add to that is there's not just one authentic you. Yeah. So what is the bit of you that's relevant to this discussion? And so, you know, that, that's what I'd be looking for. So, you know, why are we having this conversation? So, you know, there's lots of things that you could talk about. So I, one of the things I, I do is I help people prepare for uh, TED and TEDx talks and they're a really interesting kind of case study in because they they changed the dial in terms of public speaking because it used to be the standard was you'd get up on stage and you'd speak for an hour and then they did the research which showed that people's attention tends to wane after about 18 minutes which is why that's the maximum length of a TED talk and 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 the one thing with with well, their kind of slogan is one idea worth sharing. So yeah. there's hundreds of things. I mean, I know you well, and I know that there is hundreds of things that you could talk about with complete authenticity and complete um, uh, in a very compelling way. But what I'm interested in in this particular meeting is your connection to this one thing that we're going to be talking about. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that kind of different type of authenticity for the for the moment. Um, 
How how might that manifest itself then? And think about our audience here. When we're talking to founders, they're early stage companies, you've done some work with startups. What are the conversations or what are the, I guess, the scenarios in which the story might have to change and therefore they need to bring their a unique, authentic self to each of those stories? Well, what, what, comes, to, what comes to my mind is uh, the TV company I was working at after I was with you, I was asked to give a presentation to the founders. So this is going back 15 years or so. So you might call it a startup TV channel. And I was like, oh, they need to know all the marketing strategy. So I said, fine, I worked on this presentation. And uh, I could tell after about two minutes that they were bored out of their brain by what I was saying. They didn't right. give a toss. They really did not. Yeah. And so because, to be honest, I was not really invested in the organization. It was just a, very much a stopgap for me. I wasn't really bringing my full authentic self to that conversation. If I had, what I would have done is say, you know what? I get the sense that what I'm telling you isn't actually of much use to you. So yes. tell me, we've got half an hour. How can I help? What would you like to know? That, I mean, I think another way to answer your question, I think servant leadership is a really useful way to, if you're going to have a checklist going into a meeting, what do I need to bring? I would put the, the, the focus on the people you're talking to. How can I help this person? How can I help them get to where it will be useful for them and useful for me? You know, I mean, you've been involved in, in sales all, all your life. And so that's that's a critical part. It's not what can I tell you that's going to make me feel good about myself. It's what can I tell you that's going to help you and I come to a useful conclusion together. But is that why companies are coming to you for your help? Because I hear a lot of businesses are not thinking like that. They're not coming at it from how can I help you? Salespeople do this all the time. Salespeople have got a product yeah. that solves a, an issue in a certain way and why certainly a lot of younger salespeople get hooked on features and going over all the things the product can do, but they're not really articulating the value of that product in a way that fits with what the customer needs. That And, and does that come with maturity? As you get more experienced and older, do you just tend to calm down a little bit and, and be able to open yourselves up? Because it's quite a ballsy thing to do, to say, I can tell this is really not working for you. How can I help? Because yeah, that could have backfired horribly if they turn around and gone, hang on, we're paying you to be the marketing guy here. Tell us what we need to know. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it does come with age. But you know what? I was having a conversation with a, a CFO a couple of months ago. And he said, I'm involved in between three and 600 funding pitches a year. Which is quite a lot, right? And I said, well, how's it going? And he said, it's, it's not really going as we'd want. And I said, well, why not? And he said, I don't think we've got the narrative right. And I said, well, all right, well, tell me the narrative that you're, that you're sharing. 
And basically, he just told me the punchline without telling me the joke. Right. He basically, and this is a guy who's probably late forties, very successful guy. The company is big, billion billion of turnover a year, and I was absolutely amazed. And this is what I said to him: I said, "You're telling me the punchline. You're not telling me the joke. You're also not you're not having any compassion whatsoever, any empathy with me, the person who might want to invest billions and pounds in your your organization." So the first thing I did, I said, what do you, who are the people who you're presenting to? And he said, well, you know, they're angel investors, they're da, 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 da. I said, okay, I get that idea. What's their day been like by the time you get in the room with them? And he thought for a minute and he said, well, yeah, it's probably fairly painful because I might be the 10th presentation I've seen that day. Yeah. So I said, and the way you're talking to them, does that take into account he said, no. And I said, well, how about switching it round? How about connecting where you are and where they are, working out what the problem is that they have and how you might be able to help them? And the reason this story came to my mind is because you were the, used the word ballsy. That's what he said to me. When I said that to him, he was somebody who we was online. And he was prowling around like a caged tiger the whole call. He wouldn't stay still. And when I said that to him, he just stood stock still for about 10 seconds. And then he went, that's ballsy. Okay, right. I'm going to have to compute that. All right, I've got to go. Right. Wow. And for me, it just felt something that was so obvious so obvious and the way i can see your face it seems very obvious to you right yeah, how can you make yeah. that connection that connection with with your audience um and by the way another thing about storytelling there's the story thing is is really just making that connection making that emotional connection at the beginning so like you say i trust this guy i'm interested in that let's let's continue this conversation so when I was working in another TV company, I was involved in a, a pre-production meeting. I can't remember what for. And there's about 10 people around the boardroom table. And they were all basically going through their CVs. And I can't tell you how boring it was. And people were just getting very boastful, saying, oh, yes, well, I've been in this company for so long. And oh, turnover last year was another. It was just so dull. And eventually it came to this guy. And he just paused a second and he said, Hi, my name's James. I'm the genius that came up with, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm also the genius that gave the idea away for nothing. So he just told a minute story of two sentences. And what do we get from that? All right, this guy's got a sense of humor. He's obviously very talented because he's in that situation. He's got some humility. Let's have more of a conversation. So just yeah. something really, really simple rather than the let me tell you what I want to hear myself say. 
because this is all about first impressions, isn't it? We had this chat a little while ago about making that first impression on that first impact. And you, you talk about how you look and how you come across. So in the world of startups, we know that the uniform is largely T-shirts and jeans, and that's fine. I think anything smarter than that probably you know puts investors in an area of like, oh, hang on a minute, this is not normal, but not always the case. Um, but making that first impact visually, but also what you say. Um, and I think we talked about, uh, the book, Chris Voss wrote the book about how you make that impact or how you convince someone that you know what you're dealing with, not by saying, I've got all this incredible experience. I'm a professional. I've worked for these companies. I've achieved these things. That's boastful. It's much more about connecting with the audience and what they need. So in Chris's book, he talks about the story of um, uh, an American citizen kidnapped in um, Haiti um, and he's talking to the family. And the first thing he says is to the family, these things are typically over by the weekend because Haitian kidnappers want to go out and party on Saturday night. Right. And what he's done is he's basically telling them, I know how this system works. He didn't have to say I'm the FBI's mm -hmm. chief negotiator. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've got a 99% success record because I didn't give a damn. And I thought that was a really good way to make that first impression. Now, we don't have to deal with hostage negotiations, but we still have to make that first mm. impression. So what advice can, can we give listeners on making that first impression? Because that really is the, the keystone, isn't it, for the rest of this conversation, however you go on to tell your story. Um, I love I've not heard that story, actually. I, 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 really, I really like that. I think it's a really good example of the essence of storytelling, which is showing, not telling. Yes. And so what I want to know is, well, what is it that you want them to know? It's really good to have some character because some people just really don't know. They go into the meeting and, and if, you just, if you just catch them and say, what's the big idea or what are you trying to achieve here? It's amazing how often people go, well, I'm just going to talk about la, 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 la. Yeah, okay, no, you're not answering the question. Yeah. What is it you want to get out of this? And very often my next question is, okay, good. You want to get across that. Uh, your widget will revolutionize whatever, whatever uh, business process it might be. And then the next question I'll, I, I, I would ask is, well, can you give me an example of that? And I think one of the things that trips people up with storytelling is a bit like if you say to somebody, tell me a joke. But, oh, God, I'm not very good at jokes. Terrible. Stories is exactly yes. the same thing. <laughs> and Yeah. And, but if you, if you say, if you change that language and say, oh, can you just give me an illustration of that? Can you give me an example of that? Can you tell me about when, when that happened to somebody you know? That is, that is really illustrative. Uh, and, and, and then you get a story, you get a story like that. I'm just trying to think of any particular stories that, that, that do a similar thing to the one you've illustrated. None's actually coming to mind right now. But one thing you mentioned about, um, which I just want to clarify, where you talked about what you're wearing and that being the story that you're telling. So, okay, let's say it's jeans and T-shirt. Now, that's fine as long as you feel comfortable and 
you're not putting on, you know, like when po politicians put on jeans and you can see they've yeah. never worn jeans in their life. <laughs> That's the complete opposite of what we're trying to do. Right. right. So as long as you're comfortable, as long as you're comfortable and this is me and what you're getting is an authentic version of me. Yeah. I think it's also, isn't it, and you touched on it earlier, the confidence to be able to uh, adapt to the audience. So it's responding to the audience. Maybe that's very different when you're standing on a stage uh, giving a TED talk or a presentation because it's it's one to many. But when you're in a, a closer environment where perhaps it's one to few, your confidence in being able to change the emphasis of the narrative or the way in which you deliver it. And I'll give you an example. I, I gave a talk recently to uh, a group of startups and the one beforehand was a, a VC talking about what went into a pitch deck. You know, this was like, we look at hundreds of these. This is what we want to see. This is not what we want to see. And it was very sort of factual. And as I was listening to this, I thought, oh, I've got one of those. I wonder if they'd like to see it. And I wasn't even giving that talk. But when I got up and I said to this small group of people, I said, this is great. Who wants to see a real one? Who wants to see one of what we've just been talking about that's actually working, which interestingly has even got the company who just presented it, it got their interest. Mm -hmm. And everyone went, hell yeah. You know, that's what we want to see. And what you're able to do then by adapting on the spot the moment, and I had permission from the founder to be able to show this, was bring people in. Because what I said next was, because I could mm -hmm. see everyone was on their laptops looking at spreadsheets while listening to this person saying, this is what goes into your deck. I said, close your laptop shuffle hmm. forward. This is probably going to be the best hour of your life when it comes to startups. And I didn't give one, but I gave two talks on this is a pitch deck and this is a go-to-market strategy. Um, and that just, they were just zeroed in on it. And when, when you get that connectivity, when you've got that confidence to be able to do that, then people are going, this is good use of my time. And is that not what we're trying to do with good storytelling? Is saying, you've given up half an hour to talk to me. Let's make the most of this. Um, and I don't know if that's a confidence mm. thing, if you really need to know your subject matter, but it's just one of the ways in which if you can adapt on the fly, can just transform a conversation because it's not sticking to the script. It's not sticking to the, the slide deck you've built. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's servant leadership. It's what, how can I, how can I serve my message, this audience best? The, the couple of occasions that come to my mind, I was doing a workshop for a big uh, management consultant uh, and I was given two, two, two and a half hours for about 50 people. It was quite a lot. He was in the room and, and I prepared a whole bunch of exercises and some theory, which I've been told that they wanted, right? right. So I'm waiting there and there are all these management consultants thinking, okay, what's coming on here? And I was last on, right? And the person who introduced me said, okay, so we've got our entertainment. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we're going to have to change this because this is not entertaining. So right. I, I, I had to flip. I had to flip and work out. And I'll give you another example. I was in New Jersey doing a two-day two storytelling workshop. And normally, the beginning of this, a bit like when you're doing a speech, right? You, If you know that the, the colors – the kind of yellow, red, blue, green, you know, the um, uh, Myers-Briggs colors. Yes, right. 
Yeah. Okay. So normally you'd want to start with a, a mixture of yellow and, and red. So you're establishing your authority. You're raising the energy. Hey, everybody, it's fantastic to be here. This is what we're going to be doing in the next couple of days. And what I did, what I noticed when everybody came in, they were looking as morbid as hell. Their, their, their shoulders were, were slumped, their face, they were looking down, they were, they were just looking fed up. And so I sat down rather than stood up and I moved my chair closer to where they were. There's about I don't know, 10 of them. And I said, how are you? What's going on? And they said, we've just been told that we're almost certainly going to lose our job in the next month. So I changed to, you know, kind of a green energy, more empathetic and said, okay, well that, that's, that sucks. Yeah, it really does. So we stayed with that for a while. We talked about, allowed them to bitch about their organization. And then when they kind of had got it out, I said, well, over the next, month or two you're going to have to get a new job right and they went yeah i said do you think storytelling might help with that and he went yeah i said all right well should we get you a new job so that's just changing to what is in the room so if i had tried to sell what i got in my mind when they walked in the room it wouldn't have worked but you just yeah. change you just notice yeah. okay well this is what it is what do you need tell me and sometimes the direct question won't work, but you've got to essentially work that out. What is it that they actually need? How can, um, you know, how, how can you serve this? There's another metaphor. I'm jumping around a little bit, but I find with storytelling, different people have got different things. Um, you say one thing, they go, ah, right. So I'll just give you another metaphor, which I think can really help when, especially in, in pitching and sales oriented conversations. So what is the purpose of the meeting that you're in? In most cases, it's to have another meeting. Mm. It's to get to, all right, so we agree with this, let's have another meeting where we can talk about some details or we can move into whatever, right? So you wanna have another meeting. It's like going on a date. And how many times have you been in a restaurant, you've seen people on a first date and you've seen the guy being way too keen and he's kind of casually putting his Ferrari keys on the table and, and telling you about how, how, how what his turnover has been in the first, or whatever it is, you know, whatever manifestation of that. We, we've seen that and maybe we've, we've done that to some degree. I mean, I know you've been married a long time, Phil, so I know you're, I'm asking you to go way back into your memory back. But, and also, um, I don't own a Ferrari. I know you do, Robin, but I I don't well, yet own a Ferrari. I, I, <laughs> nor do I. I could, I could show you my, my, my bus pass. Uh, but you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's really useful. So if you're on a date, should you talk all about about your your product features, your the benefits of of how great you are and all that you've achieved? No, you can maybe imply that by telling some stories. But the most important thing is to get the person interested in you, interested in what we can do together. And then 
maybe should we meet next Thursday? Yeah, that's great. So it's it's just bringing down the barriers, creating that relationship, creating that sense of trust. Because let's assume that all the people who are listening to this podcast are subject matter experts. For them to even got to the moment where they're looking for funding shows that they know their stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's take that as a base level. So therefore, what we're trying to get to, we're trying to get to a point where their knowledge can be connected to the people who could possibly, not necessarily, but who could possibly be interested in being a part of this story. And which is why it's all about creating that relationship, developing that relationship so that you can go forward in one way or another. I don't know if that metaphor helps, Phil, but that's just what came to my mind. Yeah. Well, perhaps, Robin, then we can start to get into some of the stories that uh, startup founders are are likely to be telling. You've touched there on uh, there's obviously conversations with investors. We, We know the sales stories. We know that there are stories to potential employees and hiring teams. There's lots of different occasions when you need to create a story but is there a framework that people can follow when they're thinking about regardless of what the meeting is about how to construct a story or does that have to change depending on on the scenario in which you you want to tell that story you know I find that some people who are who've got to the stage where they think okay well I probably should invest in understanding more about what this storytelling thing is about and before they talk to somebody like me they're probably going to google it right what is storytelling and maybe what's a storytelling model and that's when they get unstuck because there are hundreds there are hundreds of storytelling models Mm -hmm. essentially they're all based on the hero's journey Mm -hmm. but if anybody's thinking, you know, because that's the basic, that's the source material of absolutely all of this. And I'll, maybe I'll just quickly explain for those people who might yes, not please. know about the hero's journey. It's Joseph, Joseph Campbell, who is an anthropologist, a very well respected academic, did most of his work in the 40s and 50s, I think. And he wrote a book called Hero of a Thousand Faces. Now, I'm going to save your listeners the hassle of reading this. It's almost unreadable, which is so ironic, isn't it? Right. <laughs> the main book about storytelling there is. It's not a good story. It's not. It's just oh, it's all about mythology and da-da-da-da. And it's, I don't know, 500 pages long. And it's, um, it's unreadable. So don't read it. But basically, what he did in his work, he traveled around the world and he discovered that there are there's basically one story no matter where you are in the world no matter what kind of people no matter what situation there's basically one story and all of the storytelling models and it goes back before him to aristotle there are lots of story models but they all come down the same thing and i'm going to give you the absolute synthesis of it all it's about change And what you're wanting to do, you're wanting to connect on one side of the river yourself with your audience. And so the question there is, what's the problem we're dealing with? Another question you can ask is, what do we all agree on? So if I'm going to take you on a journey, if I'm going to cross the river with you, I've got to get to where you are. Mm -hmm. So where can we be united? And one of the most 
um, most powerful ways of doing that is what's the problem we're dealing with? What's the problem that we can both agree needs addressing? So we get that. And then what we need to do is we need to get across the river. So let's call this side of the river, let's call it uh, point A. Across the river, that's point B. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm working with you know, a TEDx speaker, very often the first question I'll ask you, what are your A's and B's? Which means, what's the problem that you've got? What's the solution which you're offering? And then the bit in the middle, those are the stepping stones. Those are the bits that connect the A to the B. And there's lots of different ways in which that is basically breaking down the story. So we're looking at the data behind it, the the things that you went through to get there, the counter narratives that you, you, you might anticipate or your audience might anticipate. And that is it. That is it. That is basically all what storytelling is. It's about change. It's about taking your audience from A to B so they can see the the change that's that they're that they're made you've got to give them an incentive to leave point a and you've also got to give them an incentive to go to point b so obviously there's a lot more detail in, into that but those are the basics so know what the problem is that you're helping your your audience solve and know what the solution is that you're offering and how they can relate to that and then what are the sort of the steps between those those two points? That's what it all comes down to. And I'll just go back to Joseph Campbell for a second. So he came up with this monomyth idea, which is the hero's journey. And one of his friends was George Lucas. And George Lucas was really taken by this. And he based the first Star Wars movie and all the subsequent Star Wars movie beat by beat to the hero's journey. And, you know, that did quite well. And then... Once you get into the detail of this this model, or you you can then see, uh, okay, yes, that's what's going to happen. Every movie, I, mean, I can ruin all movies. I can tell you, there's the inciting incident, which which, which happens after point A. Usually, it's about eighteen minutes into a film. So there's lots of little tricks, and there's also another thing that happens halfway. There's lots of things, and it happens in virtually every single movie. But that is. Yeah. To kind of divert us to another area of storytelling but in terms of when you're a startup when you're a business and you need to create a relationship or persuade your audience this is what you need to do you need to be taking them on a journey so where are you right now where is it you need to take take them to and what are the steps that that allow us to get from where we are now to where it is you want to get to so to recap that, we've talked about the first impression. We've talked about um, the authentic you turning up to have this conversation, which is what gives us confidence, starts to build trust. And then we're couching our story in really solving a, a, a problem, a common problem or understood problem. I mean, startup founders, particularly when they're raising funds or even when they're talking to customers or hiring people, they're having these conversations all the time. The problem statement is a core part of building a new business. You know, I've seen a gap mm-hmm. in the market. I've seen a problem that needs solving. You know, it's not done. The, the way in which we're using tools and process today is really not meeting the requirement to fulfill that task. You know, we've come up with a better way of doing it. So the problem statement is the it's a starting point for that storytelling. And every startup founder knows it. Often what we're looking for, of course, is, is that story big enough, compelling enough, worth solving? And 
Equally important, does the customer that you want to talk to that went over to buy that product, are they willing to invest in solving the problem the way that you think it should be solved? I mean, do you have any advice on how you might frame your story in that context? You know, I, I've seen a big problem. This is a solution to fix it. Okay, how are you going to convince people that that's the way they need to do it? Well, it's interesting you say, Phil, that, you know, this, this, the problem is big enough. In actual fact, it might be the reverse. So I worked, I've worked with a lot of people who are working on technology or in the technology space, which is ultimately trying to help climate change, which is obviously an enormous subject. So if we're in a half an hour pitch meeting, you're not going to solve the climate crisis in half an hour. So yeah. it really is a question of focusing in on something that we can focus on right now, something that we can identify with, but also we can believe is going to be solvable. Um, so, for example, one company that I, I worked on in that space, I got them to focus on one particular element of that. So it was going to be about how we can make shipping sustainable. Right. Knowing that the investors they were talking to recognized that was a problem, but they just didn't know how to go about it. Or there were, there were options to go about it, but which is the best way of going about it. Another thing about here about making it. And by shipping, you mean shipping the product? No, sorry. Okay, uh, good, good question. No, I'm talking about moving goods around the world. Right, okay. Okay, so rather than talking about CO2 emissions, well, let's just talking about, about, about shipping and, and what that is contributing. The logistics side of it. Yeah, because yeah, they're, they're in, the, in, in the energy sector. Another way that a story can be, I mean, there's a phrase that often used, that the more personal, the more universal, right? So rather than talking about the enormity of what this widget could do, let's focus on one particular scenario where it, you can actually, again, it's showing, not telling, where you can see a change that is being made. I mean, uh, news stories often do this. So you're talking about, I don't know, a war zone. So rather than talking about the number of bombs dropped or the number of people at death, that might be a part of the story. But very often they'll go, uh, we talked to Mohammed. And Mohammed, da, 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 da. And he's five. And they, they just go straight to that. So you can relate to the human aspect of that. We can relate to the problems that Mohammed and his family have and what they are, they are trying to do, which is a microcosm of something bigger. So, for example, with, when, I, when I talked about the, the shipping example, we constructed this narrative where we really made the investors, the potential investors, care about this particular sector and showed how this organization were going to make shipping sustainable over the long term and then the final point in that was and this is just one of the ways in which we're addressing this bigger problem so allow the allow people to focus on what they can see is achievable and then they can they automatically will tell their own story and and, and kind of zoom out again right right you touch on an important part of that storytelling process. So we've talked about the narrative and the journey, but as you bring it 
to a close. Where do you want to end up uh, in in finishing that that story? You touched on it a little bit there about people, I guess, bringing this together in their own minds and seeing the value. But what's a good way to wrap up the end of the story in the scenario, say, of pitching to a new investor? Well, the end of the story might well be the beginning of the conversation. So the key to the end of the story is where are you going to direct the energy in that meeting? Right. So it could. So in terms of the story itself, you need to be able to show that you want to circle back to the beginning so you can see whatever scenario set up at the beginning has been addressed in some way at the end. But so what? Right. So that's that's the that's the climax of the story. But it's not the end of the story. The end of the story, especially right. in, especially in business storytelling is when you extrapolate from that the so what the what we've learned or what i'm asking or what i can suggest and that is really really important so i know that you have a military background and i know on this podcast you 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 use some military uh, metaphors so let me give one to you listen i've never flown a plane but i have seen planes take off and land on aircraft carriers that is like storytelling, right? The beginning needs to be absolutely crisp. The problem, I need to understand, A, what the problem is, how it relates to me, and how it's really important. Bang, straight away. Yeah. Then on the journey itself, you can, you can meander a little bit more. You can be more expressive. You can move around a bit. And then, again, when you're landing, it needs to be really on it, really, really crisp again. So very, very roughly, the beginning, the point A, no more, no more than 10%. The ending, again, no more than 10%. So that, I think, is absolutely critical. Very often when a talk or presentation has gone a bit flabby and is not working, it's usually because the A is too long. Right. and, And then what happens is you spend the rest of the story trying to justify why you're talking in the first place. Right. So have the A really crisp. What's the problem? Why is it important? Why are we talking? Okay, we agreed on that. Now let's go. And then at the end, and this is my conclusion, and this is what I'm asking of you. Uh, that's a very good piece of advice there, Roman, because the opening slide, if you like, of a pitch deck has got to really state the problem very clearly because we're often talking to people that may have an understanding of your sector, but they're not experts in it. Um, and they've got to be able to instantly associate with that problem that you're talking about. And then we go on to explain the size of it, the complexity of it, the challenges of solving it, which is, as you describe, your your flight between the flight decks. Um, but then at the end, forgetting to ask is a crime that mm. I've seen a lot of people make, not just in talking to investors, salespeople do this all the time. I mean, the single big easiest way to improve your conversion rate for selling is to ask for the business. And it's amazing that so many people don't even ask that question. They kind of assume that buyers are going to fall into like, oh, what a great story. Yes, of course I need this. Can I send you a check? Said no one. <laughs> and you've got to ask for it. <laughs> so that's that's really good advice yeah. on the Christmas at the beginning and the end of the of the story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, just asking is, is I think, it, it is what a lot of people forget. And, well, maybe they don't forget. I think that, that sometimes, and again, this is something that very much happens to people earlier in their careers, 
is you know you might be rejected. So you don't ask the questions, so you're not rejected. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's, you know, having that I mean to use to use an analogy when I was writing the book, part of the reason I started working in uh, in a group was to get the, the story better. But it also it's like you're exposing your baby. Here, criticize what I've been working on for the last two years. And a lot of people who I worked with didn't want to do that. So they never learned. So the guess what? Their books never got published. So right. I'm sure there are lots of people, which I've, I've, I've met them, you know, who have had this great idea. You know, everyone's got a novel in the in a drawer in their bedroom somewhere. And it's about m- taking it out of that and actually showing it to the world. And very often, I think it's really useful sometimes to frame what it is you're actually trying to get out of a meeting. And yes, of course, you might want three million seed funding or whatever it might be. But the reality might also be, I want to learn from this person. This person could really help me. And so that, I think, is is important because that is going to inform the kind of question you're going to be asking. You might, this kind of, this kind of story or this kind of meeting might be, during the co- course of the conversation, you realize that actually this person is not in the business of giving you the check right now. It could be, would you mind if you mentored me? Or could could I could we meet again because I really value your insights or whatever it is. It's working out what that question is and then relating it to uh, to, to the person you're talking to. Yeah, I totally agree, Robin. Uh, I'm working with a startup founder at the moment who uh, today, as we're recording this, is meeting with four investors. And while we've been working mm. on telling the story in the way that you describe about starting with a problem and working way through it, my advice to her was very much about you know, this is a phenomenal opportunity to get to practice and to get real feedback. So we're not expecting people there and then to go, oh, wow, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yes, where do I, you know, where do I send the check? Because that, that never happens. But the opportunity to get mm. really valuable feedback and, and it's almost the experience of being able to test your story on people, but listen to the feedback and to understand what resonated, what didn't, what needs some work, what needs better, deeper explanation. That's the real value in having a story, telling a story, but also asking for feedback on that story as you give it. So so my advice was wherever you can, just record the conversations that you're having as much to see how your storytelling comes across, which is always good to reflect, even if it's a little bit painful to hear yourself pitching. But more importantly, Mm. to what feedback you get in telling that story because you'll pick up nuances of language that are relevant to the audience that that wants to consume your story and in sales the trick is using customers language to explain the problem you solve in the context of how they want to go about solving it um and now we're so used to people recording zoom calls and what have you i mean we've had a quite a fundamental shift in um being able to record conversations, certainly in the UK and in the US. I think that a lot of investors should be fine with that because you're doing all the talking most of the time. You're answering all the questions. But we never really remember Mm. afterwards the nuances of the questions that were raised. So that's one of the things that I'm encouraging a lot of the startups I work with is tell your story, but record it and record the feedback you get and evolve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. It's um, if you're 
if 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 you're just practicing and you're talking to your phone, you know that however you do in front of the person, it's going to be more interesting. But you yeah. do there is going to be certain bits of language. Oh, that's a nice phrase. And if you if you don't record it, you're never going to remember it. So yes, recording it is is really really useful. Of course, Zoom makes that very easy as well. Yeah, yeah. And our phones, we can record it on our phones now. Just get permission to do that. But you know, if you're you're pitching, there shouldn't really be an objection um, to, to no. that for your own for your own notes. Robin, tell us about the book. Um, so, what will people learn from reading the book? Tell us what it's called, where it can be found, and what they can learn. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I appreciate the question, Phil. It's, it's not really anything I'm, I'm pushing anymore. It came out 15 years ago now, believe it or not. It's a, it's about the journey I I went on in the in the in the pursuit of the truth behind the story of my great grandfather, because of the stories my grandmother told me. And after about three years looking, I find myself in Western Mexico, and I discovered two things: that first of all, the place where he'd lived and worked was a carbon copy of the village he grew up in, in Lancashire, in Western Mexico. And the second thing was he'd left a secret family of 400 people, which we didn't know about. And right. so it's about the reason I went on the journey was because of the stories that my grandmother had told me. The reason that I was accepted by the Mexican family were because of the stories that their grandma had told them. And then I came back to this country and I went to go and talk to my grandma, who's a bit shocked, uh, and to tell her the true stories about what her father had got up to in Mexico. And she was absolutely horrified. But then it was the role reversal. And so it was me telling her stories and showing her photographs that she had done to me when I was a kid. And bit by bit, she went from being absolutely horror struck to grudging acceptance to a sense of pride. And after I'd been back for about six months, she said, uh, it was Christmas time. She took me to one side. She said, you know, this Mexican malarkey, let's go. And so just after her 90th birthday, I took her to Mexico to meet all this family that she never knew she had. So that's what the story is about. So it's essentially about the importance of storytelling within families. And Amazing. it led to essentially what I'm doing now. So it's nothing really to do with business storytelling, but it is about storytelling. And it, I may write another story about business story. I may write another book about business storytelling in the coming years. But uh, that's that's the only book that I've got out at the minute. It's called The Mango Orchard. I didn't ask, answer that question. The Mango Orchard. That sounds like a fascinating story, um, family story. Um, who knows? Maybe one day, Robin, they'll turn that into uh, an, an Oscar-winning story. Um, it certainly sounds interesting enough. And, and yeah. Incredible story. I, I did actually have meetings with uh, Hollywood directors, and uh, and then <laughs> and then of course they said, "Well, who do you want to play you?" And then of course I had to pretend I'd never have that thought. Oh gosh, ooh, now you're asking. Uh, <laughs> who did you say? Um, I said James McAvoy. I mean, there were, this is you know 15 years ago, so in the, the the me in the book is about 28, so it needed to be somebody of that kind of age, but. Um, you know, and then of course he said, "Yes, darling. Yes, it's a marvelous film. Yes, we're going to make a marvelous film." And of course, it never happens. And and then I realized that I actually much preferred helping other people find their stories rather than struggling to write down my own. So uh, I'm very happy. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not re regretting 
that that didn't make it to Hollywood, or it hasn't made it to Hollywood yet, shall I say? Well, yes, yeah, one day, one day. Well, look, uh, you heard it here, folks. Um, should do it, the film be produced? We've met the, the the originator, the writer of the story. Robin, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want help with storytelling? Um, what's the best way to get in touch? And you know, what what sort of work would you like to do with particularly early stage founders that perhaps want to learn how to tell their stories more? Com- stories sure well I I mean I have my website which is robinbailey.com and that's uh, R-O-B-I-N and Bailey's B-A-Y-L-E-Y uh, likewise on LinkedIn most people tend to contact me through LinkedIn and um, well very yes. often it's people wanting to work out how they can communicate more effectively with greater impact with the people they're trying to influence. And so uh, the the things that I'll help people work with is get really clear on what it is they're actually asking for, what it is they're actually offering. Um work a way in work out a way in which they can structure that story in the most compelling way. And then thirdly, how they can deliver it. So, you know, that bit about walking in, whether you're shuffling, whether you're strutting, whether you're being whatever you, your audience needs you to be. So those are the three a, a, a aspects of it. Um, but most of the time is spent on the first two, working out what the story really is and finding a best, the best way to communicate it. Right. And you're doing that on an individual level, but you're also doing it for teams. So whether that's the sales team that wants Absolutely. to know how to do that or a marketing team or, or any group of people that want to learn those skills then yeah, through your workshops and the other initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and starting <clears throat> next month, I'm, I'm, I'm working with uh, a, the Spain's biggest business school, taking MBA students through through that process. And this is very much the same. It's kind of people who are kind of the stage behind most of the people who will be listening to this podcast. Robin, it's been great catching up. Uh, we could talk all day about this topic of storytelling. I think you and I are definitely going to be working together again soon uh, on helping the sorts of uh, founders that I'm passionate about helping improving their chances of success through better storytelling. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I look forward to seeing the film when it comes out. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Phil. Thanks for asking me on. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another compelling episode of Behind Startup Lines. A huge thank you to Robin for joining us today and sharing the transformative power of storytelling in the business world. Remember, the stories you tell are as crucial as the products you sell and the vision you share. Take Robin's insights, find your narrative, and weave your authentic self into every pitch, presentation, and conversation. If you found today's episode enlightening, I encourage you to share it with your network, rate us on your preferred podcast platform, and subscribe for more insightful conversations like this one. Your support helps us reach more listeners, enabling entrepreneurs everywhere to benefit from the collective wisdom shared in these episodes. Until next time, keep innovating, keep building, and let's keep this conversation going. This is your host, Phil Guest, signing off from Behind Startup Lines. Over and out.